0: Welcome to the Worldwide Webinar Fellowship, which you can listen to live every first Wednesday of the month at our website, tltf.org. If this is your first time listening in with us, we want you to know that you are loved. Wherever you are joining us from, we hope this message from God's Word encourages, uplifts, and inspires you to grow deeper in your relationship with God and His Son,
1: the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you again for joining us, and now here is your teacher, John Lynn.
0: Thank you very much. Please take your Bible. Turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 7. Again, I'm in the new international version. I'm thrilled to get to hold forth the word tonight, and uh, thank you so much for being a part of this. This teaching is called The Heart of Second Corinthians. Uh, if I had to put a subtitle, it would be Life is Looking Up and Looking around, you'll see why maybe, or I would call it now is the day of fill in the blank. Whatever good thing you want to put in there, we want to live in the now, and we'll talk about that a little more in closing. So Paul's second letter to the Corinthians uh, has always been one of my favorite sections of Scripture. It's heartfelt, it's comforting, it's inspiring. I guess the general consensus of scholars, of which I ain't. Was it was likely written four or six months after First Corinthians. And you'll remember uh, Paul sent Titus uh, down to Corinth with his first letter. The Bible doesn't say it was in an asbestos bag, but I'm sure it was, given its fiery contents. The believers in Corinth had gone way off track, to say the least, in many categories of god's revelation uh, to them and remember that corinthians corrects the practical failure to live the romans doctrine and even though it was painful for paul to do he nailed them over and over throughout his epistle for example there's a bunch of verses you can look up at first corinthians where he is very stern but this one Chapter 2 or 3, I, I think it is, he said, I could not address you as people who live by the Spirit, but as people who are still worldly, mere infants in Christ. I gave you milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. Indeed, you're still not ready. You are still worldly. And all of us need to be on guard that the things of the world, and they are uh myriad ways in which the enemy can steal our love joy peace long-suffering gentleness goodness etc given that the corinthians took heed to paul's stinging reproof his second letter is filled with heart and love and anticipation of seeing them again and enjoying sweet fellowship with them and it also points them to the glorious hope of christ coming back for them and him. So, and we're going to be mostly in the first five chapters because, um, they are more doctrinal, if you will, while the rest of his letter is concerned with more practical issues, in particular, complimenting, uh, the believers on turning from their sins, encouraging them to complete their collection of money for the poor in Jerusalem. A lot of verses in the Bible about helping poor people, not just randomly throwing money out to people on the corner but walking with god and doing so and exhorting them in the latter chapters of second corinthians to defend his ministry from those who had been falsely accusing him the false apostles and in that regard paul is not just tooting his own horn but boldly asserting his apostolic authority of which his service to them was living proof so it's not wrong to know and to proclaim that you're right. I mean you know if you're on the word and your heart's right, you're right, and so doesn't mean you're not gonna take flack. <laughs> I put these uh, notes on Facebook about the uh f o d the fruit of divine and uh and the w w f teaching each week, and I get hundreds of people commenting, I don't have time to read them all and but a lot of them are uh, not so complimentary, bless them. So whatever. So 2 Corinthians chapter 7 uh, should begin with verse 2. And so this cha- this chapter, we're going to read this first and then go back to uh, chapter 1 and read some excerpts for this evening. But this chapter, I just love it's so filled with heart, and I'm not going to unpack everything in it. But we're Second Corinthians seven two. Make room for us in your hearts. Now remember, he smoked them in basically every chapter of First Corinthians, and uh, it's kind of interesting. Uh, the last chapter sixteen has like 38 people's names listed, something like that, in Corinthians. And now uh, these are real people and. Just like you and me, and I'll say more about that as we get in here. Verse 3, I do not say this to condemn you. I've said before that you have such a place in our hearts that we would live or die with you. Most of us are have our parents, and we remember when our kids were little. Why did we correct them? Because we love them. Don't play in the street, you moron. Things like that. I have great confidence in you. I take great pride in you. Now, this is after Titus had come back and told him, hey, these people got their act together down there. They didn't run me out of town on a rail. I'm greatly encouraged. In all our troubles, my joy knows no bounds. I think it's Hebrews 13 talks about those who go before. It's what a leader is, that following them in the right way gives them joy and not stress in the job of overseeing god's people which is a big job and one not to be taken lightly verse 5 for when we came into macedonia this body of ours had no rest but we were harassed at every turn conflicts on the outside fears within but god that's a great phrase in the bible bunch of places worth looking at who comforts the downcast comforted us by the coming of titus not only by his coming but also by the comfort you had given him he told us about your longing for me your deep sorrow your ardent concern for me so that my joy was greater than ever there's nothing like deep-seated heartfelt fellowship with like-minded people with whom you can be honest and open and vice versa and that's what we're striving for too many times I can speak for myself, afraid to say what I really think, because what's somebody going to think? Even somebody I know loves me. So think about all these things for yourself. Uh, verse 8, even if I caused you sorrow by my letter in the asbestos bag, I don't regret it, though I did regret it. I see that my letter hurt you. It's hard for him to say those things but only for a little while. Yet now I'm happy, not because you were made sorry, but because your sorrow led you to repentance. For you became sorrowful as God intended. Godly sorrow, sorrow you got caught. Godly sorrow leads to change. You became sorrowful as God intended and so were not harmed in any way by us. Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret. But worldly sorrow, uh, self-pity like, brings death. See what this godly sorrow has produced in you. What earnestness, what eagerness to clear yourselves, what indignation, what alarm, what longing. You can look up all these verses. They're pretty cool. I mean, these different words. What concern, what readiness to see justice done. At every point, you've proved yourselves to be innocent in this matter. So even though I wrote to you, it's not on account of the one who did the wrong or of the injured party, but rather that before God, you could see for yourselves, that'd be like reality, how devoted to us you are. By all this, we are encouraged because they should be devoted to him because he taught them the word, he was honest, He loved them. That doesn't mean they put him on a pedestal at the expense of all sanity and made him some kind of little god and did whatever he told him. You know that. In addition to our own encouragement, we were especially delighted to see how happy Titus was, not to have been tarred and feathered, because his spirit has been refreshed by all of you. I had boasted to him about you. I told him I thought you guys would get it together. Something like that. And you have not embarrassed me, but just as everything we said to you was true, so our boasting about you to Titus has proved to be true as well. And his affection for you is all the greater when he remembers that you were all obedient, receiving him with faith and trembling. I'm glad I can have complete confidence in you. Back to chapter one. Now think about those words and the reproof of first corinthians and i was thinking about that each of us you and i have missed the mark that's the root definition of the word for sin missing the mark and sin countless times in our walk with the lord either willfully veering off of or mindlessly exiting Oh, I took the wrong exit. The path of righteousness and faith that Jesus has blazed for us into God's heart. So I want to ask you a question at this juncture of your life. We got a lot of junctures on here. Big crowd tonight. I'm thrilled. We have room for 200 people. I'd love to have 500 every time. But anyway, uh at this juncture of your life, how do you see yourself right now? Do you see someone who's made too many mistakes? Damaged goods. I'm too old. I don't know enough of the word. I'm burned out. People wronged me. I have too many other responsibilities in life. Well, I don't think any of those are God's perspective of you. Or do you see yourself as forgiven and cleansed, made whole, Christ's ambassador, as we will read, God's fellow worker, as first Corinthians said. Whom he needs. He needs human cooperation. He's not running a giant puppet show like most Christians teach. He is not sovereign in the sense he can do anything he wants to do. He is not control in control. I've said it. You've heard me say it. You can say the same thing. How do I know God's not in control of my life? Oh. Cause he wouldn't have let me do the stupid stuff i've done you can speak for yourself so looking at your true self with that perspective gives you purpose you are a full-time minister of the good news of jesus christ you might not run around the country with a coffee can but you are a full-time minister of the gospel and your Father and your Lord will work with you and in you to maximize their calling on your life. So chapter 1, verse 3, praise be. He is. So, he starts off so sweetly here, it's awesome. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, a lot of good words in here greek words that have wonderful meanings who comforts us in all our troubles so that this is we're looking around get out of yourself what can i do for somebody else so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves have received from god for just as the sufferings of christ flow over into our lives What's think about that colossians 124 says we fill up the suffering of christ in the body in other words they the way they treated him the way they will treat you and me and uh i read a commentary once on that verse it says um, he took the blows meant for us now we take the blows meant for him tremendous insight there for just as the sufferings of christ flow over into our lives so, also, through Christ, our comfort, the more we stand in there in his stead because he's on on the earth today, then we get comfort that's enough to deal with the sufferings, and then we grow if and when the sufferings subside, we get to keep the growth. If we are distressed, it's for your comfort and salvation. If we are comforted, it's for your comfort, which produces in you patient endurance of the same sufferings we suffer i've never suffered really not like these guys in the bible sure i've had some wrong things done to me but i mean geez look around the world people being martyred and whatever so verse seven and our hope for you is firm because we know that just as you share in our sufferings so also you share in our comfort we don't want you to be uninformed brothers about the hardships we suffered in the province of asia we were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure. Well, How did they endure? Because they counted on God. So we despaired even of life. Indeed, our hearts, in our hearts, we felt the sentence of death. Then the NIV is pretty Calvinist to hear, but this happened so that no, it's with the result that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. That's about the ultimate. Good thing. He has delivered us from such a deadly peril and he will deliver us. On him, we have set our hope that he will continue to deliver us as, that's a great phrase here, verse 11, as you help by your prayers. Prayer helps. I can't explain it all, but it gives God entree into people's situation. We've seen some really cool answers to prayer lately and some healing and We need to just get on a roll with that stuff. But that means looking around, getting involved, taking a chance, reaching out. You're not going to hurt anybody by praying for them. Then many will give thanks on our behalf for the gracious favor granted us and answered to the prayers of many. Let's skip to verse 18. He talks about how I was going to come see you and it wasn't any yes and no deal. I had planned to come, but it, it didn't work out. Force people to think god is sovereign you know first thessalonians two 18 said i was going to come see you but satan hindered me really oh huh. verse 18 some of my favorite verses as surely as god is faithful our message to you is not yes and no back and forth maybe how do we know for the son of god jesus christ who was preached among you by me silas and timbo was not yes and no but in him it has always been yes. Dear Virgil and Carol and Ramey are on here tonight in one day with the creator. Virgil is featured in this verse. Yes. With his knee up and elbow down, and making a fist. Yes. For no matter how many promises God has made, he's made a lot, right? They are yes in Christ and through, so through him, the amen is spoken by us to the glory of God. Now it's God. Who makes both us and you stand firm in christ he anointed us what's that mean new birth new birth simply a synonym bunch of different synonyms describing the new birth not some special anointing to water the lawn or something no no there's one anointing and you got born again he set his seal of ownership on us and put his small s spirit in our hearts as a deposit guarantee Token, down payment, great word, appears three or four times, guaranteeing what is to come. And every time you speak in tongues, which I hope is a lot, that guarantee is real. You can count on that. And let's see here. So two more verses. I call God as my witness that it was, I love these two verses. It was in order to spare you that I had not returned to Corinth. Because then I would have had to smoke you face to face. And that wouldn't have been a lot of fun for either one of us. 24, I did a teaching once called helpers of your joy. Not that we lord it over your faith. King James says we are helpers of your joy. That's what a true leader should be. We work with you, this says, for your joy. Because it's by faith you stand firm. Chapter 2, verse 1. If anyone has caused grief, he has not so much grieved me as he's grieved all of you. When we sin, it has some negative effect on the body of Christ. I don't understand all of that, but obviously some of it is firsthand, person to person, that kind of thing. Um, the punishment inflicted on him by the majority is sufficient for him. Now, instead, you ought to forgive and comfort him so that he will not be overwhelmed by excessive sorrow. I urge you therefore to reaffirm your love for him." It appears that this was a guy in 1 Corinthians 5 who was uh, having illicit relations with his stepmother. I believe that was the situation. Chapter two should start with verse five. "'So we work for you, we're helpers of your joy. "'So I made up my mind "'that I would not make another painful visit to you. "'For if I grieve you, who's left to make me glad? "'But you whom I've grieved. "'I wrote as I did so that when I came, I should not be distressed by those who ought to make me rejoice. I had confidence in you all that you would all share my joy. Let's party, for I wrote you out of great distress and anguish of heart and many tears, not to grieve you, but to let you know the depth of my love for you. Chapter 3, verse 1. Are we beginning to commend ourselves again? Or do we need, like some people, letters of recommendation to you or from you? Nah, you yourselves are our letter, talking about how he ministered to them. They're living proof of his ministry, written on our hearts, known and read by everybody. Verse three, you show that you are a letter, epistle from Christ, the result of our ministry, written not with ink, but with the spirit of the living God, not on tables of stone tablets of stone but on tablets of human hearts i want to be an epistle from christ to people oh my goodness such confidence as this is ours through christ before god and down to verse 17 he goes into the whole thing with moses and we are competent ministers and not like Moses, whose glory was fading away. And we come down to the end of chapter 3, 17. Now, the Lord, that's Jesus, right? If you're just joining the party, uh, the word Lord in the church epistles never refers to God. Why? Because Jesus is Lord. As of Acts two thirty-six. 36, same Jesus whom you crucified, God has made both Lord and Christ so there's one God and one Lord. Hey, we should write a book about that. Oh, we did and if you don't have it it's right there on Amazon, Barnes and Noble. it's a lifetime resource. it's also a booster chair I know it's almost 700 pages but it is a lifetime resource and if you just read the first 80 pages you got the thesis and everything else underpins that. so hope you'll read it anyway. So we're going to uh 17 and 18. Um, now the Lord is the Spirit. Capital S is correct. Jesus is called the Spirit in several places. And the next S is small s. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. And we, who with unveiled faces, because you just talked about Moses, had to veil his face because it was like 10,000 watts or something we who with unveiled faces all reflect the lord's glory are being metamorphosed, like romans twelve two, are being transformed into his likeness not with the fading glory like moses had but with ever increasing glory we are going to be a piece of work the rest of our lives this is a lifetime journey which comes from the lord who is the spirit now think about this verse Because if I want to be a living epistle and reflect the Lord's glory, I cannot allow anything between him and me. I cannot put up any veils of these masks. God, I can't be masked before the Lord. I've got to be naked before the Lord. And this, um, we'll get there in a second about what I want to say about this, but so let nothing come between you and the Lord, because how do you get a reflection? You've seen the old Western movies, the the uh, Native Americans are hiding up in the rocks, and the cowboys are riding through the gorge or whatever, and the Native Americans are have little mirrors, and they're flashing signs to one another. But they don't do it in the rain, because there's no source of light. So to have a reflection, you gotta have a reflector. It's gotta be aimed at the light. You gotta have a source of light or you don't have a reflection. So there's no question Jesus will be shining. The question is, am I gonna focus my reflector on him and allow nothing to come between the two of us? Chapter four, verse one. Therefore, these are poignant verses here. Since through God's mercy, we have this Ministry. We do not lose heart. Verse two is money. Rather, if we do it, <laughs> I've failed many times. Rather, we have renounced secret and shameful ways. Now, you can't renounce a secret and shameful way if you don't honestly recognize a shameful and secret and shameful way. We do not use deception, nor do we distort the word of God, just let it speak to our hearts and take it at face value. Now, just to speak a minute, uh, this ministry, by the way, the word ministry is diakonos. The root is dioko, to pursue, to run, to serve. And every Christian is a minister full time of the gospel. Now, verse two is just really a deep verse. And what I see in there is vulnerability. James says confess your sins to one another doesn't mean come in there to with a laundry list of everything you've done since you were two months old it's talking about being vulnerable being honest. The more you're confident of someone's love for you, the more willing you are to be vulnerable. No fear used to have a bunch of those shirts and shorts and so forth. But we we need to crush any fear that uh, stops us from facing. The, and then I wrote, deceitful, disgusting, horrendous sin that dwells within us. That's Romans 7, which relates to Corinthians. The sin that dwells in us. Some of you know my dear daughter, Christine. And many years ago, she said something like, It's terrifying to really consider what lives in me. And so how do we do that? How do we get the courage to... Get naked before the Lord. I think the answer is that we know by experience the reality of the new nature of Christ that also lives within us. There's sin that dwells in us, but we also have the new nature of Christ. So the more, listen to this, the more we are willing to look at our sin nature, the more we experience the healing power of our new nature and vice versa. Kind of like a parallel between, uh, with this, um, think about this. The more we recognize the horror of death, the more we appreciate the glory of resurrection. If there's no such thing as death, then resurrection is superfluous. If there's no such thing as sin, then salvation, the power of Christ, is superfluous. So, here we go. Verse uh, 2. On the contrary, by setting forth the truth plainly, we commend ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. The more true we are, the more people have to make a decision about the message that we are living and speaking. And even verse three if our gospel is veiled, veiled to those who are perishing. The God of this age, not world, God of this age, has blinded the minds of unbelievers. So they can't see the light. Is a wonderful string of genitives here. They can't see the light of the gospel, of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. By definition, an image is not the object itself. Verse five, the reason Jesus was the perfect image of God is because he chose to perfectly internalize the word of God. And be the way, the truth and the life. Verse five, for we do not preach ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord and ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God who said, let there be light, made his light shine in our hearts to give us another bunch of genitives, the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. So compare the genitives in verse four, light, Of the gospel of the glory of Christ with light of the knowledge, which is the same as the gospel, of the glory of God in the face of Christ, who's the image of God. Very cool. But, verse 7, we have this treasure. It's not Holy Spirit. It's the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. We have this treasure in jars of clay, earthen vessels, King James to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not out from us. We are hard-pressed, means squeezed. Maybe you felt that way lately. We're squeezed on every side, but we're not crushed. We're perplexed, but not in despair. I believe it's the message that says for that clause, We're not sure what to do, but we know God knows what to do. Perplexed, but not in despair. I think that's very good. Persecuted, but not abandoned. Struck down, but not destroyed. And these uh, verses here, 10 and 11, are talking about dying to self in light of these challenges. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus so that the life of jesus may also be revealed in our bodies sort of like romans reckon the old man dead so the new man can dance so that the life of jesus may also be revealed in our body for we who are alive are always being given over to death for jesus sake i don't think it's talking about outward persecution i think it's talking about laying down your life looking around putting others first, so that his life may be revealed in our mortal body. So then, death is at work in us, but life is at work in you. It is written, 13, I believed, and therefore I have spoken. So there's some kind of correlation there. more we believe, the more we speak. With that same spirit of faith, we also believe, and therefore squeak. No, speak. Because we know that the one who raised the Lord, here, because what's the bottom line of everything? We win. We know that the one who raised the Lord Jesus from the dead will also raise us with Jesus and present us with you in his presence. All this is for your benefit so that the grace that is reaching more and more people may cause thanksgiving to overflow to the glory of God. Therefore, the crescendo Finish of chapter four, if you will. We do not lose heart, though outwardly we're wasting away, yet inwardly we're being renewed day by day for our light and momentary, momentary, even if you live to be 120, momentary, light and momentary troubles, squeezings are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs the most. Not the troubles themselves, That achieve rewards for us it's how we respond to them troubles 18 so we fix our eyes not on what is seen but on what is unseen for what is seen is temporary but what is unseen is eternal forever chapter 5 and by the way those two verses in uh, chapter 4 10 11 there It's just exactly what it says in uh, Philippians 3.10. I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. And so, somehow, attaining to the resurrection out from among the dead. Not talking about a physical resurrection. That make no sense there. Talking about... The other side of laying down your life, there's a resurrection of sorts. It's called growth in your life. So here we go into the home stretch, chapter five. We're going to read through six, uh, two because the chapter five should go include the first two verses of chapter six. Then you can run wild all over your city. Chapter five, verse one. Now we know. I love these verses and they're mangled unfortunately too often. Now we know that if the earthly tent, the tabernacle, the body we live in is destroyed, we have a building of God, an eternal house in heaven. doesn't say we're going to live in heaven forever. Come on. It's in heaven because Jesus is going to bring it to us, as we know from other places. Not built by human hands. We just read about the guarantee, the deposit. You're going to have a new body i thought about that the other day my god my mother's gonna be my age something like that i mean people say how old are we gonna be i say probably like adam and eve were you know young adult i don't know but hi mom anyway verse two meanwhile we groan yeah because we're squeezed longing to be clothed with our heavenly dwelling most people think yeah i really want to die so i could go meet jesus that's insane Longing to be clothed, let's keep reading, with our heavenly dwelling. Because when we are clothed, we won't be found naked. For Naked means dead. Dead. You got nothing when you're dead. For while we are in this tent, this body, we groan and are burdened. Because it's like not because we want to die. That's what that clause is. Because we do not wish to be unclothed. We're not saying we want to die. Because dead people are fairly useless, but we want to be clothed up on with our heavenly dwelling, so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. Psalm one eighteen seventeen has become one of my favorite verses. It says, "I will not die, but live and proclaim the work of Yahweh." Most of you know, been fighting this crap cancer for almost seven years, and I'm living till the gathering together. I mean, that's my confession. I'm going the distance and you know what else is there to to think and that's what this is talking about i don't want to die i want to be clothed with our heavenly dwelling when is that according to all the verses in the bible when jesus comes and meets us in the air and gives us some new duds verse 5 now it's god who has made us for this very purpose and has given us the small s spirit as a deposit guaranteeing what is to come. You will be going up. Therefore, we're always confident and know that as long as we are at home in the body, (coughs) we're away from the Lord. In other words, physically, we're not raised up with new bodies to be with him. We live by faith, not by sight. We are confident, I say, and would prefer to be away from the body and at home with the Lord. When? when we're clothed upon with that which he brings us not that we want to die there's so many people who have given up and died cuz they thought they were going to go shake hands with Jesus and their mother and whomever there's a lot of really hideous stories about some of that stuff i would prefer for the lord to come i mean that's going to be better than anything verse 9 so we make it our goal to please him that's a poignant clause how much do i think about that sometimes i do i'm driving i think jesus is sitting next to me then i shudder uh to make it our goal to please him whether we are at home in the body or away from it in other words when he comes for us whether we're dead or alive but hey plan to live look both ways take your vitamins for we must all appear before the judgment seat of christ not for life or death but for rewards and i will be applauding for you at that time that each one may receive what is due him for the things done while in the body whether good or bad bad means worthless in other words there wouldn't be rewards for that and first corinthians chapter three addresses that verse 11 since then now this is interesting since then we know what it is to fear the lord we try to persuade men I got kind of pricked when I was studying that today. And what I wrote about it is, the more real is our fear of the Lord, meaning our sense of awe, our reverence, our realization of how serious the choice is for people between life and death. Now, we know they're not going to be eternal French fries. They're going to be burned up. Wicked people, the unbelievers, I'm not the judge of who's in that category. Jesus is. Everybody will get what's coming to him. Nobody will get shafted, okay? But this is a big deal. I don't think I see it big enough because the more I get it, the more zealous I am to persuade others. And I don't think I've been quite as zealous a lot of times as I should be. So we go on, verse 11. What we are is plain to God, and I hope it's also plain to your conscience as I have poured out my heart to you, he says. We're not trying to commend ourselves to you again, but we're giving you an opportunity to take pride in us so that you can answer those creep, false apostles I'm going to address later in this letter who take pride in what is seen rather than in what is in the heart. If we are nuts, like they say, we're nuts for God. We're crazy for Jesus. If we're in our right mind, it's for you. 14 and 15, they're wonderful. For Christ's love compels us. It's an interesting word because it it constrains, as the King James, and that includes an impetus, moving you forward, overcoming inertia, but also direction. A, A horse has to run inside the rails. First he has to run. That's overcoming the inertia out of the gate. he's got to run inside the rails so christ's love gets us moving keeps us on track because we are convinced okay the more convinced i am the more compelled i am look at all these things in here that one died for all therefore all died and he jesus died for all so that those who live should no longer live for themselves my gosh we're programmed from so easy to be self-centered golly but what are we supposed to do look around look up look around we want to live for him who died for them and was raised again that means we take an interest we look to for the interests of christ in others what's he trying to do in you that would be my goal to leave you closer to christ than i found you 16. so From now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone's in Christ, he is a new creation. How do you see yourself? He is a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us, who's us? You, little old you, dingbat you, dingbat me. Given us the ministry of reconciliation, and uh, okay, and reconciliation means the restoration of the favor of God to sinners who repent and put their trust in the redeeming death of Christ. He's given us; He's committed to us the ministry where to run to serve to reconcile men to God. Verse 19, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against them. That kind of points to the attitude we should have as best we can. In other words, giving people a break as much as possible. And he has committed to you and me the logos of reconciliation. That's why we need to know the word, really. And, you know, we're just human knuckleheads, but the classes, the teachings we have, they're life-changing for people. I don't know why we get to know what we know, but look at it. If it doesn't, you're not convinced line by line, word for word, that it's what the word says, don't change what you believe. But if we do convince you, which we expect to, then line up with the word, hide it in your heart, and spit it out. Verse 20, we are therefore Christ's ambassadors pretty uh high-ranking position, as though God were making his appeal through you and me. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. 21, God made him who had no sin to be, not to be sin, too many people preach that stuff and God couldn't look on sin, no, no, Romans 8, 3, a sin offering made him a sin offering for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of god two more verses as god's fellow workers god's fellow workers i trust that's how you see yourself he needs human cooperation to pull off lots if not most of what he's trying to do. We urge you not to receive God's grace in vain. In other words, don't squander what Jesus and God have done for us, for you and me, and have given to us. For he says, now this is a really, I looked up this quote today from Isaiah 49. I'll read it first. For he says, in the kairos time, the, the moment, the specific right moment, for something to happen, which we, with his help, make happen. For in the time of my favor, I heard you. This is talking to Israel. I'm going to unpack it in a minute. And in the day of salvation, I helped you. I tell you, that's the, that's the quote. And then he says to us, I tell you, N O W, now is the kairos, the right moment of God's favor. That's why I said in the beginning, now is the time of fill in the blank however god's working with you probably in regard to helping somebody whatever that that moment you don't miss that opportunity kairos is translated opportunity in galatians 6. now is the time of god's favor now is the day of salvation so here's the whole thing from isaiah 49 8 and 9 just listen you don't have to turn there this is what yahweh says now to israel regarding there the context is Israel during the millennial kingdom when they finally will exercise the ministry of reconciliation that God wanted them to exercise when he said I want you to be a nation of priests and they spit in his face for 18,000 years so here's what he says in the time of my favor i will answer you And in the day of salvation, I will help you. I will keep you and will make you to be a covenant for the people, to restore the land and to reassign its desolate inheritances, to say to the captives, come out, and to those in darkness, be free. How much more is encompassed in the ministry of reconciliation that you and I have today? And today is made up, today was made up, of a bunch of nows. And my dear wife and my dear daughter are both really good at living in the moment. And each has often exhorted me to do likewise, sharing that personal confession. And being aware of seeing God in the various ways he reveals himself because there is no situation, no isolation, no gray cloudy day, no anything When God does not manifest himself in special ways, I sit in my office chair, look out at the big tree in our yard and think, that started as a seed. Perhaps you've heard, yesterday is history. Tomorrow is a mystery. Today is a gift. That's why it's called the present. So let's live in the now. Be looking around. Who can we help? And let's impart wholeness To those around us again thank you so much we have a wonderful song i want to mention here that you'd like to hear it's short and sweet but it'll mean something and might help you just kind of seat some of these truths in your heart first of all as i always do want to give you the opportunity to give money i love doing that because i see what happens in my own life god just keeps laying it on me don't have much guaranteed income But God just keeps blessing me and he'll do no less for you. So if you support our ministry, all of our trustees, elders, we can't thank you enough. My goodness. And we'll be applauding when fruit abounds to your account at the judgment. That's Paul in 2 Corinthians 8 and 9. Not that I desire a gift. We want fruit. To abound your account, God'll give us one of those cattle on a thousand hills if he needs to. But we want you to reap the benefits of giving. So if this ministry means something to you, think about sending a few bucks a week, a month, whatever. Think about sending a lot of bucks. Whatever works for you. This song is called Ancient Words, Ever True, Changing Me. Changing You. I think it's Michael W. Smith. When we filmed one day with the creator, Golly, 10 years ago this summer, can't believe it. Um, We played that at the end of every team meeting in the morning. And of course, then we cried and I had to get all that out of me before I could talk. So again, we love you. We want to hear from you. We hope to see you face to face. We thank you for your prayers for all of us and for one another. And uh thank you so much for being on the line tonight. Michael, thanks for a great job hosting with the music and so forth. So. Ancient words, think about them. Franco and Christine are in Utah. They've made it to Utah. So pray for them to get the perfect little apartment so they can find the perfect house. So we love you. We're looking forward to spending forever with you because then you will have cleaned up your act. Okay, God bless. I love you and God help me.